Viewer discretion is advised. Anything that smells, sniffs, reeks of Judeo-Christian values, we want nothing to do with. Mandate. Hey, welcome to Mandate, where we never get fresh perspectives and nothing's off the table. So tonight our guest hails all the way from the gardens in Tamaki Makoto. He is a former lecturer at uh, Monaco Polytech, also a former uh, announcer in Radio Rima, and also a former director uh, at PACT, an organisation called PACT, um, better known as as a Babatoto um, Adolescent Christian Trust, uh, but also has a, he's an avid, avid blogger, uh, the McBlog, uh, is a man who's not afraid to, to speak his mind, comes with a wealth of experience and knowledge, and so please, let's give it up for the man himself, uh, the, the, the director of Family First New Zealand, please put your hands together for Bob McCrossgree. Hey, thank you. <laughs> nice to be here. Awesome to have you, Bob. And congratulations for saying McCoskery correct. Oh, yes. Not many people can do that. Especially in the media. They they can't say McCoskery. They always they always get it messed up. Yeah. Yeah, and the amazing thing is that sometimes you put out media releases and and so all they have to do is copy and paste it and they still in the written get it wrong. (laughs) They still get it wrong. How does that work? I don't know. Anyway. Hey, at least we got it right. Hey, we got it right. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, Bob, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man. Um, and so we thought, because you're accustomed to all of this, you're accustomed to, to, to all these discussions and all these um, these issues that are maybe happening around the world. And so we just kind of straight off the bat, um, straight up the guts, really. Mm. What, what are your thoughts in terms of, and, and your observation in terms of the state of manhood in this day and age? Well, I think uh, if if a man was a lion, we're slowly declawing the lion and taking away some of its um, prowess, its ability to defend. Um, and yeah, I, I think there is a real problem for us men that we're we're being told to uh, release our emotions, the soft side of our emotions, which is not a negative, that's actually a good thing. But at the same time, the um, ability for us sometimes to be assertive, take the lead, just be boys around each other like we were doing off camera beforehand, <laughs> that ability, sometimes that can get us into trouble. And, and, and you know, that's why we like the boys' nights. That's, yeah. that's why we like the boys' activities and the men's events because we get the chance just to hang out and be a little bit like cavemen grunting yeah. around each other and not having to <laughs> concentrate on what we say or, uh, you know, um, having to get in long conversations. We can just grunt. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think for men, um, we, we need to support um, men to just to, to really... Uh, be themselves, enjoy being uh, a man, hang around other men, but also understand that we have a really important role, especially in families, especially as husbands and especially as fathers. And um, yeah, I assume we're probably going to get into that more in detail. Yeah, no, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I was just gonna. Say, that's a really powerful metaphor in terms of declawing, or sort of declawing a lion and, and altering that. It, it kind of makes me think that. Um, going off on that metaphor, although you're making the lions safer for people, it's a visit. You, in fact, alter the purpose or the essence, uh, in a sense, um, in terms of what that lion is and, and how it's come to be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really interesting that you kind of started off um, with that kind of analogy. So I'm, I'm really curious about some of the things you've seen mm-hmm. over time, trends over time, maybe things you might have recognised earlier in the day that have now become really prevalent issues for men today, um, what some of those thoughts might be for yourself? 
Well, I think one of my <clears throat> main messages as I travel around is that I believe in the premise that if you have uh, strong marriages, that you will have strong families, and if you have strong families, you'll have a strong nation. And what will happen is that as marriages break down, uh, families will break down, and you won't have a strong nation because the nation's got to step in and try and fix the problem. And that's costly, and governments are not good at fixing families. You just have to look at Oranga Tamariki to know that. Uh, and so what we need to do is go back to the core, which is the, the family unit. And, the, and I'm not just talking about mum, dad and the kids, which apparently is the conservative approach, but I'm talking about the extended family. You know, and it, it, you know, that ability of, I mean, I don't know about you, but when we first had kids, the most important people in our family were the grandparents because they were the babysitters or the uncles and the aunties or, you know, people that could practically help during a pretty tough time. And um, I I don't think we give enough um, emphasis and weight to those first couple of years uh, of parenting but also the first couple of years of a child's life mm-hmm. you know they talk about the first 1000 days are the are the most formative really important for a child uh, and so you know one of the campaigns we did was to extend the parental paid leave because for so many families they feel that they've got no other choice but they have to get back to work uh, and so therefore daycare becomes an option and so we're putting kids into daycare at a very young age for long periods of time the research that we looked at said that sometimes some kids of the age of naught one and two were in daycare longer than a 40-hour week because families basically needed that supervision so they could go and earn i think we need that's where we should be putting the the investment and the funding into that area because those First couple of years, I mean, I'm sure there's some mums and dads right now who have young kids who are nodding their head and saying, it is tough. It is really tough. It's really tough on mums, you know, uh, because we expect them to do the full-time job of being a mum. And then society's also saying, well, hang on, that's actually not that recognisable. We want you to work and be a productive member of society and we'll look after the kid. Uh, and, uh, And I'm saying, actually, no. Looking after your child in those early formative years is the most important job you will ever do. And for those of us who have kids, I hope we understand that. Those, those early years, you know, uh, when those kids are growing up, we've, we need to really instill our values uh, and, and nurture our children. And that's what kids want as well. So, so, you know, marriage is part of that. We need strong, stable relationships. Now, I know people will say, well, you don't need to get married to have a strong, stable relationship. That is true, and not every marriage is perfect because humans are involved and whatever humans are involved is never perfect. (laughs) But the design is the best because what it does is it says that the two people who created that child are committed to each other to raise that child. And that commitment and that connection are so important and uh, policymakers in New Zealand don't want to talk about it, they don't want to go there, and yet it's one of the key driving forces in areas around child poverty, family breakdown, uh, imprisonment, uh, child abuse. Um, I've got a few reports on the table over there where it goes into detail and looks at that family breakdown and the increase. And, and my, my argument is that as long as marriage rates go through the floor, which they are, they're decreasing at an alarming rate, lowest rate. Uh, I think it's... I just did a media release a couple of weeks ago when the latest marriage stats came out, but it's something like 
one-seventh the number of marriages that were around in 1971. So it's been a massive drop. Uh, and as you have that weakening of the family structure, because I, I, I still think of marriage as kind of like a glue. You know, it, it's not a perfect glue, but it's, it's one of the best glues that you can get at the warehouse. And that glue holds that relationship together better than any other type of glue. And as that breaks down, so too does the family break down, and then you've got to pick up the pieces. And it's, it's costly, both fiscally and emotionally. It's interesting, um, Bob. Why, why, is it, why is that the factor or the reason why these policymakers are not concerned about what you've just said, um, Bob? What, what's, the, what's the whole agenda behind, behind, of that, behind all of that? Well, some of your viewers won't agree with me, but I, it, I'd say it's because it's a Judeo-Christian value and anything that smells, sniffs, reeks of Judeo-Christian values, we want nothing to do with. So uh, we don't talk about marriage. The only time they talk about marriage is when they want to change the definition and en enable same-sex to marry. That's the only time there's been a real debate about the role of marriage. Uh, and now, of course, we're uh, undermining the whole area around gender and basically saying actually it's not based on biological differences between male and female, it's simply how you identify. And, you know, I, f I find that really sad that our young children are being brought up with that, that ideology because, look, let me give you a comparison. If you have a, a young teenage girl and she's got anorexia nervosa, she thinks she's fat, but in fact she's stick thin and she's starving herself uh, or, you know, vomiting up after every meal and she's getting thinner and thinner and sicker and sicker. But what, she's th what is she thinking? She's thinking, I'm fat, I've got to lose more weight. Now, as a loving society, how do we respond to that? Do we go to her and say, hey, if that's how you feel, we, we need to affirm that and we're going to give you liposuction, we're going to give you weight loss pills, you know, we're going to decrease your food quantities. Or do we deal with the actual problem, which is the what's going on in the mind? Now, for the life of me, we aren't doing that with kids who struggle with their gender. They think they're the opposite sex, and yet they're about to go through puberty, and puberty reinforces what actually biological sex they are. And what do we do? We chest bind, we give them puberty blockers, we give them hormone blockers, and then we give operations that cut off their private bits or, you know, change them around. And, and what should we really be doing? We, rather than cutting the body, we should be healing the mind and dealing with the, you know, the fact that, hey, it's okay in a society for some boys to like ballet and it's okay for some girls to play rugby. It's okay to have, you know, um, <laughs> to go against the norm of, of what your biological, that's okay, but we don't need to use hormone blockers and, um, you know, cut off parts of your body and, and chest binding to try and hide your biological, we're hiding the biological truth. Wow. I can, I can just sense it right now, Bob, you got, you're probably getting some people thinking, hey, that's, um, that's what, what, why would you say that, Bob? Why, what, mm. yeah, that's, that's so... In terms of even like to the point of oh this is that's just being bigotry you know all that kind of stuff mm. why 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 are you against that and and it just seems quite crazy um, and I totally agree hundred percent which is what you're saying Bob 
And so what do you say to, to those folks who, who right now are probably ruffling their feathers already, mm. already Bob, and think, oh, what, what is he saying? And they're probably going to say some, some nasty things in regards mm. to what you just said. But what do you, what do you say to, to, to those folks who probably are still in that kind of place that, no, this is how it should be? Well, I would say that the, when you get the claim that you're bigoted or you're homophobic or you're transphobic, that's a label that's thrown out and it's designed to shut you up. And we've got to get past that. And we've actually got to get to the table and say, put up your evidence that chest binding and going through cross-sex hormones and delaying puberty, messing around with the whole pubertal process of a, of a teenage and then uh, mastectomies and, and chopping off private bits, yeah. which make us guys water, eyes water. <laughs> um, you know, is that the best? Or actually is it better to wait and watch and deal with maybe comorbid disorders that are going on, other issues going on in their life, maybe other mental disorders. And let's have that debate because that's actually what's happening around the world. There was this big push that, now if a child says they want to be the opposite sex, we just go down that path. Now you've got countries, fairly liberal countries, fairly uh, pro-LGBT countries like Finland, Sweden, UK, Australia, uh, and even psychiatrists in New Zealand who are starting to say, actually, in France, maybe... We shouldn't be rushing. We need to deal with the psychiatric side of things. Uh, you know, we need to do that analysis first rather than rushing them in to immediately go on puberty blockers and, and, and chest binders. So um, that's the debate we have to have at the public level. But the problem is that, as you say, as soon as you and, – and the reason that uh, – see, I'm not hateful towards these kids. I actually mm. love them. I want them to know the truth and I want them to live at peace within their biological body because that's the biological reality. Now, people will say, well, that's hateful. Well, I disagree. I think it's hateful to actually push them down a path. To me, it's like saying to a kid with anorexia nervosa, eh, yeah, you are fat. Let's do some liposuction. It just doesn't make sense to me. So persuade me otherwise. But it's not out of a, it's not out of, it's not coming from hate. It's coming from loving these kids and saying, actually, I think that healing the mind is better than cutting the body. Mm, wow. <laughs> wow. That's so deep. <laughs> but see but see the problem is we're not allowed to have that conversation. Mm. We can have it here because you're allowing it. Yeah. But in the public domain, in the media, in fact there's stuff some media outlets that won't actually even allow that debate. They actually say we, we won't engage in that side, we won't let you talk like that. So they won't even have that debate. Oh, because I, I can I can imagine a lot of men are probably thinking the same same way that you, you're thinking of in terms of what's happening in terms of conversion therapy and all that kind of stuff. Why is it that a lot of our men may be a bit timid or a bit scared to kind of voice their, their opinions? Well, I could sum it up with two words. <laughs> Israel Falau. Wow. And the reason I say that is because, look, just a quick bit of background, Israel Folau, the whole furor around him, and I don't need to explain to your viewers who <laughs> yeah, Israel Folau is, right? He's the man, he's the man. He's the man. The whole furor around Israel Folau did not begin with that biblical scripture around sin. It was actually a couple of years before when they were having the same-sex marriage debate in Australia, and he put out a tweet, and his tweet simply said, I love and respect all people, but I cannot support same-sex marriage. Not too much bad about that. You might disagree with his opinion, but, it, you know, it wasn't hateful or, you know, harmful or anything. 
that's that's when he really came under fire. That's when he started getting watched, and that's when the activists started trying to trap him. And unfortunately, Israel Folau, just like us, is a simple boy, and he just honestly answers questions, and he's asked, you know, what his opinion about about the whole area around homosexuality, but sin in general. And he responds in a typically biblical fashion, a biblical sexual ethic, quoting scripture. Mm. And of course, then it was all on. In fact, I've just um, uh, recently released a McBlog commentary where I've talked about the way he was treated and also um, Margaret Court, the famous tennis player, who also had similar views and how they, there's actually a tennis court in Australia that's named after her and they tried to, they wanted to rename it because of her homophobic and bigoted views. But it's interesting, there's a, there's a woman involved in AFL, um, somebody Zurika, I can't remember her first name, she refused to wear the rainbow shirt because of her beliefs, because she's Muslim. Oh. Now you probably haven't heard of her. No, no, no. no, and you probably haven't heard of the guy uh, Indira, I think his name, Indira Gay. He is a... Oh, is he a footballer? Yeah, he's a footballer for PSG, PSG in France. PSG, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard the furor around him? No, I haven't. He also wouldn't wear the rainbow shirt for PSG a couple of weekends oh, ago. Oh, that's right. They were yeah, in, it wasn't in the shirt. media, was it? Yeah. No, no, I didn't so, so we heard all about Margaret Court and Israel Folau all through the media on every channel in New Zealand, but you didn't hear about the AFL woman Muslim player, and you didn't hear about the PSG player, and yet they made the same stand based on their religious freedom, based on their personal conviction. But the Christians were targeted, but the Muslims weren't. Now, look, this is not a criticism against the Muslims. You know, I I actually texted a a Muslim friend of mine, and I said, good on them for standing on their principle. He says, yep. We, we, we are committed to what we believe. But the problem is that, and back to your question, I, you said, why, why are we a bit scared to speak up? We saw what happened to Israel Folau. And to be honest, a lot of men look at that and think, I'm not speaking up. Why do I want to go through what he went through? Why, why do I want to put up with that? Uh, and that is the exact chilling effect that they actually wanted. They wanted people to shut up and my my challenge to people is you need to speak up you need to speak up the truth look even if you're called a transphobe that's just designed to stop the argument you need to speak up if you're speaking biological truth if you think you're speaking truth speak it defend it listen to what the other side is saying but don't stop because we need that you know marketplace of ideas Mm. wow it seems like a, a, there's a real push. Like you said, the other other two were Muslim and other one, other, you know, sort of Falau, Christian. And it just seems like, I don't know, and, you can, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, is there like a certain agenda as to why uh, the Muslims are able to say, yeah, that's all good. Yeah, you get a pass, you get a tick, green light, versus the, the, the Christians. It's um, yeah, Well, it's remember, green. that goes back to the earlier question, which is that anything that sniffs of Judeo-Christian values is to be scoffed at and to be got rid of. And so Trevor Mallard, with the prayer at the start of Parliament, Mm. he took out reference to the Queen and he took out reference to Jesus. There was a massive blowback and furor, so which one did he reinstate? He put the Queen back in, but left Jesus out. Uh, and, And this is just part of the 
general societal approach that it's kind of like we are over Judeo-Christian values even though they form the basis of all our laws and our culture and anything that's, that smells of it, uh, marriage, um, God creating us male and female um, and even when you go down to the sanctity of life when you're talking about abortion and euthanasia and drugs that's all up for grabs now because we're trying to do everything we can to purge ourselves from those judo-christian values which is why my views aren't that popular and and um but hey you got to speak up but how, how do you deal with it um, bob because you must get a lot of flack you must get a lot of people <laughs> say hey man who is this crazy guy how dare you and you must get a, i don't know you even to the point of people just kind of ridiculing you and all that kind of stuff how so, crazy is that though that your views would be considered the crazy one in the world that we live in today, when in fact it's historically, it's kind of we've we've come from that perspective, and now all of a sudden we've done a three sixty, and now that that train of thought mm. is thought of as crazy or backward or whatever. Well, I mean that's an interesting point because how do we judge whether our view is the minority? I mean, everyone told us that we had to legalize drugs and it was the only way to go. We mounted a campaign and actually argued and defended the reason why legalisation was important. You know, there's a famous quote, before you take a fence down, figure out why it was put up in the first place. And that was our argument with drugs, that unfortunately when you take the fence down, you, there's going to be problems down the track. And, and we produced the evidence, people pushed back, they disagreed with that. But in fact, you know, surprisingly, and despite the fact that the media were hugely biased in favour of legalizing cannabis and and we've released a research showing that they um we still managed to keep that fence up unfortunately in the euthanasia debate um that that fence was taken down and i think part of the problem was because they were very clever with their use of terminology they called it the um um right to oh, what was the bill called um oh die with dignity so they called it the Death with Dignity Bill. Now, I don't know about you, but if I said to you, should everybody be allowed to die with dignity, we'd say yes, wouldn't we? Yeah, for sure. The argument was whether intentionally killing a patient is better than good, well-funded palliative care so that you live out your final days to the max and the best way you can. Or do you put people under pressure and so they don't actually, they actually start asking themselves, gee, I'm costing a lot of money, I'm frittering away all the inheritance of my kids, maybe why shouldn't I take euthanasia? And it's that coercion that we were really concerned about. Same with abortion. Um, mm. You know, you could argue that the country is pro-abortion if you look at the polling, but here's the interesting thing. We did some polling around abortion and we said... What, when we asked them about when would they allow abortion and what they thought the parameters should be, they were far, far more conservative than the bill that we've allowed, which effectively allows abortion up to birth and doesn't have any checks and balances in terms of sex selection abortions or coercion, blocks parents from being told that their teenager is having an abortion. Um, so... We've got a very liberal law in New Zealand, one of the worst in the world. I mean, it's, it's actually shocking. But here's the interesting thing. Under the old law, so the, 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 before we liberalised it two years ago, under the old law, you could only have an abortion up to 20 weeks. Um, 
of, of the unborn child. So 20 weeks beyond that, you couldn't have an abortion. The only time you could have an abortion beyond 20 weeks was if the mother's life was in danger. Okay. And um, when we polled, we didn't tell people what the rules were. We didn't say you can have an abortion up to 20 weeks. We said, what do you think it should be? How far do you think the unborn child should have should have come before you can no longer have an abortion? It wasn't more than 20, it was actually 15. So wow. actually people wanted a more conservative approach. You could argue that they were pro-abortion, but they actually wanted restrictions on it. And of course, you know, one of the, in the United States, one of the um, laws that they've done in some of the states is the heartbeat bill, which basically says that when you can pick up a heartbeat, because look, if, you know, one of us carks it on the floor now, the, what's the first thing you check for? Heartbeat. Yeah. And if the heartbeat's not there, you're stuffed, right? Mm. And so the, at the other end, at birth, once the heartbeat kicks, now we know, well, hopefully we all agree that it's based on conception. That's when life begins, based on our Judeo-Christian values. And, and even Muslims agree with that as well. But, uh, you know, uh, based on the heartbeat, that would be around six or seven weeks. So, so look, uh, that's where we need to have these debates because we actually need to find out what people really think. When you dig down, you actually find. And, and that was one of the arguments for euthanasia. A lot of people voted, I believe, personally, that a lot of people voted for euthanasia because they just didn't want people to die in pain, right? Mm. That was the main argument. We don't want people to suffer. We don't want people to die in pain. And yet when you talk to palliative care experts, they said, we can manage that with the right resources. We can manage that. And so, but that, 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 uh, that narrative really wasn't allowed to come out. So, and part of the problem is that the media are, tro- uh, are controlling a lot of the narrative. That's, that's just it, Bob. I don't, I don't think a lot of men are informed. Mm. Obviously, if, if I think if a lot of men have, if have been <clears> informed, <throat> educate themselves in terms of what's happening and the certain specific policies, I think a lot there would be a lot of people speaking up, or more so a lot of men speaking up against all, mm. all these things that are happening in, in our nation. Is it because... Is it, is it because our men in this day and age, or more so in Aotearoa, is just, I don't know, it's just, we're just too relaxed or we're just too content? Too busy. Too busy, yeah. Or too too busy. Yeah. And so one of the things that we've tried to do through Family First is to try and condense the information down into fact sheets and try to put out research to, to back up what we're saying. I mean, you know, the interesting thing is that we've put out a lot of research and a lot of fact sheets on all these issues that we've been talking about. And... The opposition don't actually attack what we're saying. I don't think they can. So what they do is they just cancel us and they try to ignore us and not give any oxygen. That's the tactic. And that's always a sign that actually what you're saying is true. They just don't want to hear it. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, when you can engage. And, and that's, the, that's the frustration I have with the legacy media, the, the, the big media outlets in New Zealand, is that they're not allowing the contrary view, the full-on debate. Um, and the classic example was a conversion therapy bill uh, ban, which our analysis showed that it was massively stacked 
in favour of voting for that bill. They never came to us for uh, um, for you know uh, a contrary viewpoint. If anybody did speak up about it, often they were portrayed negatively. The politicians who voted against it were portrayed negatively. They never allowed the full debate, despite the fact that there was a massive debate because it had over 100,000 submissions uh, from both sides. And, and yet the media didn't allow that conversation in the public domain. So, yeah, I don't want to make excuses for uh, men not knowing about some of this stuff, but they're busy and it's getting filtered by mainstream media, which is why a lot of people are going to social media to get some of their facts. Now, sometimes that's not always reliable either, <laughs> you know. So yeah. we've, we've got to start using our discernment as we're told to, and um, we've got to sift through and, and check the credible stuff and find trusted sources on all of this. So, yeah, there is work to do, and and I would encourage men to to start researching, take some time out, find some of those trusted sources, and, and maybe even, I mean, I know that there's uh, groups, my nephew's involved in one where just a group of guys get together and they talk about these really tough issues, and they agree to disagree, and... That's fine, but at least have that discussion and and get the debate going. Yeah, 100%. I think that's what we're doing right now, Bob. Mm. And I love the fact that you, you're open and, and raw and honest about some of these issues that are happening in, in Aotearoa, in our nation. And it's just it's enlightening because mm. these discussions need to be had. And I think, a lot, like you said, a lot of men may not be well informed in, in terms of what's happening and all these different policies. Mm. And so I, I appreciate that you just say, hey, just being open and honest. And also at the same time, I know there's going to be, like you're saying, there's going to be a lot of people out there saying, hey, I disagree with what you're saying. But that's part and parcel. I think mm. it's, it's healthy to be to disagree, but also agree to disagree. Well, that, that's one of the interesting things that we've done <clears throat> in some of our campaigns is that we we actually are willing to work with people who we may disagree with on other issues. So... Um, for example, in the, the recent debate around conversion therapy and birth certificates about whether you can identify as a sex you want to be on your birth certificate rather than your biological sex, um, you know, we were on a similar campaign with Speak Up for Women, which is a, a lesbian feminist group. Um, and because we, we both agreed on those particular issues. Same with, um, for example, in the euthanasia debate, there would be, you could get together a, a group of people who oppose euthanasia but would disagree in the area of maybe abortion or um, gay marriage. And effectively, what, and, and, and actually I remember the time that we <clears throat> got together the coalition to uh, tackle the cannabis referendum. And one of the first things I said is all these groups from around the country sat in this room where we were out at... Um, out at that, just by the airport, that um, that theme park out there, Butterfly Creek. We're sitting in there, and the first thing I said was, you know what, if we had a debate on a number of social issues, we would possibly disagree on all of them at various levels around this room. But there's one thing we do agree on, and that is that legalising cannabis for recreational use is not in the best interests of New Zealand. And, and so by setting that parameter... We basically said, you know, we will work together on this and we'll agree to disagree on other things. We need to be big people and be able to do that. And I'm sure around this table, I mean, you know, we could probably have an argument about best fast food and we would disagree. 
uh, and we still like Texas, each other. Texas. And, yeah, and, they, and, that, and that's okay. So, you know, I think we need to grow up in our conversation and the ability to have these conversations. And the sad thing is that, unfortunately, on our on our tertiary campuses, and I'm a ex Auckland Uni like your wife, yeah, yes. Woo, Auckland University. Um, <laughs> That's where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and um, AUT, I mean, look, just um, recently AUT shut down a debate where a woman wanted to come in and talk about women and they cancelled it because they thought it might be threatening because they were talking about the definition of woman. Yeah, AUT. Uh, you know, and it's happened around campuses around New Zealand where they're not allowing the debate because some people might get upset. We we need to have these discussions and we need to learn to disagree. Mm. So spot on. That is so spot on. Um, it's inter- it almost seems like it's kind of a slippery slope and everything's kind of interconnected. You let one thing go and it sort of steamrolls into... And we've sort of seen how even big media companies like like Disney and mm. it's, it really is mainstream um, now and it, it just made me think about I've heard the term about how there's a media narrative and I've always been curious because you sort of mentioned uh, the guys who are too busy and sort of pick up snippets online and mm. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that that's, that's mm. me I pick up bits and pieces I question it and I'm not sure what's I sort of take it for a grain of salt but it, it makes the world a confusing place for me because mm. now I don't know what's truth what's not I'm, a, I'm an education student and so um, when you mentioned speaking out about opinions and things like that, we've had some really interesting papers that I would never have considered to be something important and essential for us to learn about. Mm-hmm. Um, things like gender in the classroom and for a lot of us it's it sort of made us question a little bit um, in terms of our personal values mm. and now this profession that we've dedicated two, almost three years to. Mm. And if we want to be professional teachers, we kind of have to put our values to the side um, almost. And so it's it's had this really interesting impact on mm. a lot of us um, up-and-coming teachers. So mm. I was curious about your thoughts in terms of education, but also if you were able to elaborate a little bit about that media narrative, where that comes from, what influences it, and what benefit does it have for the media um, to cancel out one whole side of the mm. story and just to run with bits and pieces that get people riled up? Well, I, I still think that no matter what you learn in the academic classroom, test it in reality. Um, and look, my daughter has been through um, teacher training, um, has a degree, and 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 I've spoken to many others. And what happens is that in the class, in, in the um, in the university lecture, they learn about all these theories, but then when they go into the classroom, they come back down to a normal, natural approach. <laughs> and look, you know, let me give you a classic example, which was actually when Family First first started, there was this massive debate around the anti-smacking law. And the anti-smacking law was well-intentioned. They wanted to try and somehow tap, tackle our horrendous child abuse rate which actually hasn't decreased, it's actually increased over time, even since the law. Uh, and and so there was this huge debate, and I was actually on Radio Rima on the um, running the breakfast show at the time, so I was interviewing some of the politicians about their approach, you know, Sue Bradford and, and those who were opposing it, and I had Helen Clark, the Prime Minister at the time, in an interview, and I said to her, I, we were discussing the new law and, and I just said to her, so uh, 
do you want to ban smacking? Because they always tried to argue, no, it wasn't about banning smacking, it was about banning beating up kids. And we were saying, well, actually, this is banning smacking. If you want to ban beating up kids, there's, there's other areas that you can focus on. There is a difference. But, of course, they were linking together a smack with a pulverising. And that was why a lot of New Zealanders opposed the law and still do. But I, I said, so you don't want to ban smacking? And she said, no, to ban smacking would defy human nature. That's the exact quote. To ban smacking would defy human nature. Now, if you talk to any parent, parents don't wake up wanting to discipline their kids. They don't wake up thinking, I can't wait for my child to be naughty so that I can put them in time out, give them a telling off, withdraw their privileges, or maybe even give them a smack. I just can't wait for that moment today. <laughs> they wake up thinking, I hope I've trained my child. I hope, you know, that they will be the best person they can. And if they're not, I'll take the, you know, some corrective method, uh, method that, that best works for that child. Um, and and that's, that's human nature. And so what happens is teachers are being trained with all this, I call it whack job theories, and then they go back into the classroom and they actually realise actually kids are very simple and normal and just respond to clear messages and consequences. I mean, when I was involved in Youth for Christ, we used to take kids away on teen safaris, which was a week-long camp with about 100 kids. And one of the first things we did at the start of the camp was we said, what are the rules, who's going to enforce them, and are they going to be enforced? When the campers were quite clear that there were some basic rules and that they would be enforced and there would be consequences if they didn't, camp ran smooth as. It was actually the absence of those structure and guidelines. And to be honest, I think, give me a chaotic kid and you'll find a chaotic background um, and, you know, lack of consequences. Now, sure, there are exceptions to that, for sure. But let's, we've got to get back. And, and so I'll be interested to interview you on a podcast and ask you about the difference between what you learnt in the academic lecture theatre and what you learnt after a couple of years of actually teaching. Because I can guarantee it'll be, I think it'll be different. And that's where I think we've got to get back to some of the basics because there's so many theories out there. Um, and the other thing is I think when you do research papers, I hope that when you've got these research papers put in front of you, that you do a bit of a credibility test on them and actually examine, well, how many people did they interview? How long did they interview? How did they find those people? Is this just a group of buddies or was it actually a truly random sample? Is there a control sample? How did they come to their conclusions? What other work have they done in this area? Is this consistent with what other research papers have been saying? See, to me, that's that's kind of a basic, honest, credible approach. So that goes back to your media question now. I think we need to do the same. That when we, I, I think in the old days, we used to sit, at the, sit in front of the six o'clock news and feel like we were receiving the facts and the truth. To be honest now, I sit in front of the TV news and my blood pressure goes up and I spend most of it yelling at the TV saying, rubbish, false, that's not true, that's your opinion, okay? That's that. yeah, yeah. And that's the newsreader. That's, that's oh, not the person they're interviewing on my side. <laughs> and, and that's what worries me is that, you know, we need, we have lost that ability to know really who to trust for information 
And so we need to work harder to find credible sources. And I think, you know, as it talks about in the Bible, we need to test everything, test everything against the word of God. But I think it's just a simple use discernment, test everything for credibility, do the sniff test on it. And uh, I mean, even, even during the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of stuff floating around on both sides of the debate that I did the sniff test and I thought, nah, that's, that's not quite right. Let's look into this. Let's look at the research. Let's look at the background. And, and you actually realise, hey, this is pretty flimsy. So, you know, that's a challenge for us when we put out our research papers. We can't put out flimsy stuff either. And, and you know, to be honest, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that nobody has really attacked the content of what we've said. They've disagreed with it but they haven't been able to pull it apart and say, actually, you've got this factually wrong, you've misinterpreted. So I, I think that's the important. Your second question was about the media. Well, I, I think it's just that um, m- most media uh, outlets um, are predominantly left-leaning, and that's come over um, a number of years. And so you can probably name on your one hand, sort of right-leaning um, media outlets, Fox News, the Australian newspaper, uh, there's a UK newspaper, which I can't remember, or Daily Mail maybe, um, but they are few and far between. Generally, most media outlets tend to be sort of left-leaning. And and the people will say, well, how can you say that, Bob? I can say that because we have examined the way that they have presented public debates on, for example, the cannabis referendum and the conversion therapy bill, even the gay marriage, they have been strongly pro a liberal approach. And and what really frustrates me is that they're supposed to be reporting the debate, not leading the debate, but they've led the debate. They've pushed their narrative. So we need more right-leaning types of um, media outlets and I think there's a few starting to raise up in New Zealand like the Daily Examiner you had Elliot on a couple of weeks mm, ago right. yeah. uh, you've got the platform with Sean Plunkett um, and and there are some you know other websites that that people will go to there's commentaries coming out um, and even Substack um, I don't know if you've heard of that but that's kind of an area that a lot of people are starting to um, do commentary through in fact there's a there's a, a woman who came out of Canada, came out of, so in New Zealand, we have Radio New Zealand. In Canada, they have the Canadian Broadcasting System. And she was a reporter. And she thought she was left wing. But she actually left the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation because she felt excluded because the newsroom had shifted so far to the left, to the radical left, that she almost felt like she was a right winger and yet she was still she felt she had liberal values. Um, it's it's worth um, reading her commentary about that. that. That was only just recently. Oh, wow. Interesting. That, that is, there's, there's a lot of information that you've just shared on Bob. It's just, and I think a lot of the viewers are thinking, man, that's just, that's, um, it's, it's amazing in terms of the, the information and the, I guess it's kind of like an educational uh, session as well, um, Bob. But I'm also interested as well, Bob, because I know we're talking about all these other issues, but we, we want to know about you. And so, what were you like? Because I want to know what you, what you were like back in the back in the glory days. Back in the, <laughs> I'm curious about that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because you sound like a real colourful character. Um, well, I can because they're smirk, not asked too they're much. Smirk, they're smirky. <laughs> so I, I was um, I was a little bit like 
that guy behind me, Mo. Oh, Musala. Mohamed Salah. <laughs> I thought I was a really good soccer player. <laughs> I was a striker. Um, in fact, I was playing soccer up until a couple of years ago for over 45s, which is kind of really embarrassing. You don't realise how embarrassing it is. You think you're running really fast and then you actually watch a game and you realise how slow <laughs> over 45 soccer players are. That's the age, by the way, not the weight. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I like sport. Um, uh, got Grew up in really strong Christian family. Um, my roots are in Papatoitoi. Uh, in fact, I um, lived just a couple of doors away from Papatoi High School, so I could hear the bell ring, the first warning bell at 8.35. I would get up, I'd be in class by 8.40 when the class started. Um, you know, it was it was very handy. And um, so I have lived in Papatoitoi basically all my life, just for the last uh, 15 years, been up in Manareira. And um, yeah, what else do you want to know? That's probably as much as I want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> In case you, it gets tricky. I was going to ask you about something about radio, but, you know, we won't go there. Oh, well, I did. The interesting thing was that I used to always sleep in and used to love my sleep-ins, start work at nine, um, you know, and probably get out of bed at quarter to nine. And then I did um, breakfast on Rima um, and Talkback, which was uh, six till ten. So I was up at about uh, 4.30 for four years. And you know what? It's really hard to get out of that habit. It's funny. You'd think that, once you've done that early morning, you would just go back to sleeping in again and, you know, slothing around. I, I, I still sort of wake up early and, and it was quite interesting for me how over four years I developed that kind of habit uh, in my life, but, which is actually a good habit because now I, I don't get up at 4.30, but I do get up earlier and, I, you know, that's, that's my um, important time on my own, my devotion time, my research time, walking the dogs, exercising, which is good for the, the mind. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, so that was an interesting period of life. But that was four years, and then I believe God dragged me out of there and threw me into family first, um, and that's been... Uh, with really no idea where it was heading or what it would do. Um, and 17 years later, we're still going, enjoying really strong support and, um, you know, uh, huge, huge um, subscribership in terms of our email newsletters and social media. And, and, of course, the latest development is doing these video blogs, which I know a lot of people are getting into. And that's where I think that's the alternative media because Whereas people went to the legacy media for their source and the six o'clock news and the, the major news outlets, now they're starting to look for commentary around the place and, and, you know, they're starting to shop around. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I still just think, do the credibility test, do the sniff test, make sure that that what they're saying has some credible backing background, you know, and it's not just, yeah. Yeah. And you, I, I totally agree in terms of the critical thinking and, and also doing the background test. But why is it, Bob? Because it is, you know, we say it, test it, test everything, and mm. it is even in the Bible, test everything. But why is it that, that men, sometimes some of us are not testing it? What, what's up with that? What's Yeah, well, I wonder whether we, um, whether we aren't taking our responsibility strong enough to you know, there is a really strong push for equality, and that's important, you know, um, male and female alike. That's the way God created us. 
Um, but but also think, I mean, you know, we're speaking to predominantly, you know, we want to encourage men through this program, I understand that. And, and you know, I think, um, well, my, my acronym for, is acronym, is that the word, for the word busy, uh, is B, B-U-S-Y stands for being under Satan's yoke. In other words, um, if if um, the if the enemy can't make us bad, he'll make us busy, and it distracts us. It distracts us from being good husbands. Distracts us from being good fathers. It, but I think there has been a cultural change because I think, uh, in fact, just yesterday I I do some refereeing uh, for soccer now because my my calves and my quads and my hamstrings can't handle the the um, sprinting involved in playing um but what i do notice is that um fathers are far more involved and are just as likely as mums to be on the sideline watching the game um now you know i'm older than you guys but when we grew up dad was at work dad you know uh put the food on the table and mum was doing all the running around with the kids I know that even through my own parenting, that changed a lot, and and dads have become far more proactive in the raising of the kids, and that's a big positive. That's a great thing, you know. I think men have stepped up to the mark, but we need to continue to do that. And um, and and actually, um, we as well as the paid parental leave, we also called for uh, increase in in father leave, um, especially in those early stages you know you've got a uh, a mum who has just given birth is trying to recover physically and emotionally from that um what do they need they need a, another adult there they need their husband you know they need the father of the child there giving them support so we want we felt that that those first couple of months were really important it was interesting the new zealand herald when they actually published the story uh one of the reporters that i was in contact with actually said you know that was one of the most um, clicked on stories that week was around that whole father paid leave and just that debate that was talked about and I thought that was a really important debate because it it actually reminded dads you are important you do have a role um, and you know as a husband and as a father it doesn't get much more important than that and so we've got to we've got to keep pushing that message at the same time as lifting up mums and saying, hey, you absolutely matter as well. That nurturing, that, that um, you know, support of the child is so important and we need to value it more. You're not just a mum. You're not just a mum and the sooner we can get back to work so that you can be a real human being again. No, actually, we value you as a mum. It's the most important job you can do because the state is not good at raising our kids. Mm. Oh man, anything, anything else on Jay? <laughs> um, one thing I'm curious about, you've talked about um, faith and um, sort of Christian values um, and I can tell it's a really big part of who you are and so I'm curious because I know mm. even from personal experience and through um, close friends and family, even those who are raised in, um, you know, their parents are, are strongly religious, mm. there still comes a moment where they have to find their own faith mm. um, and so I'm curious, especially in... Um, the, the sort of path that you're walking where your, your values can be sort of under attack at all fronts. So I wonder um, what was sort of the turning point for you and what sort of keeps you going in a world that is obviously 
it's, it seems to be going in every other direction sometimes other than the, the direction you're moving. Yeah, actually, just on that first point, one of the things that we've really tried to do at Family First is we haven't tried to represent Christian families. We have tried to develop resources and have the debate around how it affects all families, no matter what your faith and even if you have no faith. And so if you look at our resources and our reports, you won't find Bible verses scattered through it or prayers that you can say. Um, I mean, my argument has been if if you can't uh, be part of the debate and if you can't win the debate without trying to land a scripture, then go away and think about your argument again. Um, because we need to win it at the... Uh, at the, well, what's the word, not secular level, but at the public level. We need to win the public debate. And for some people, the the Judeo-Christian value isn't part of the debate. So that's our kind of our motivation. That's our, our, our worldview. But we have to apply that to our current society. And so that, that's a challenge for us is to put out resources that can persuade um, people based on the the facts and based on the research and based on the experience and based on cultural experience through through you know centuries, we need to win that debate. Sure, our biblical understanding may back up why we think that, but we still you know. So take for example the abortion debate. You know, we as as Christians we believe in the sanctity of life and we believe you know from conception and and that is the value of the life. The unborn child is a human being. Now, for many people, they don't have that. Uh, understanding all that biblical approach. So therefore we have to persuade them in terms of biology. And one of our greatest assets is the ultrasound. Because like when Roe v. Wade was passed, which is the abortion case in you know 1971, which might be overturned, we never don't know, and, and pro-abortion people are going ballistic because they might lose the right to abortion. Um, but, you know, at that time when that law was passed, um, the ultrasound wasn't around. So it was kind of this theory of what the unborn child would look like. And so when you said, oh, it's just a blob of cells or it's just, you know, it's it's not a human being, uh, everyone just sort of believed it. Now, of course, one of the greatest things is when, you know, mum and dad go for the first scan and, you know, you can get your 3D ultrasound and there's nobody sort of saying, you know, oh, uh, that's just a blob of tissues, you know, you know, um, you know, I'm pregnant with a blob of tissue. You know, you, 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 some people even name their child. So that humanity, is, the biology is proving the humanity of that child, isn't it? And, and the technological advances we're making. So, so that's an example of, of how we need to win the debate uh, without necessarily throwing the scripture card. Uh, that's our motivation, you know. So um, now what was the second part of your question? Awesome. <laughs> um, it was just in <laughs> regards to um, sort of living your values in a world or in a profession mm. or a job where the, your values are sort of under fire, how do you stay resilient to stay on the path? Two words, even if. And and some people might know what I'm alluding to. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You know, the, the heat has turned up. I call it the culture. It get, it's getting hotter, more hostile. And we're, they're told that they have to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Uh, and they say, well, we're not going to bow down. Um, we think God will save us. But even if, 
even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. And I think um, as godly men, we need to adopt a even if, not a only if you make it nice and only if you rescue me and only if I don't get treated like Israel Falau. It needs to be even if, even if I suffer the consequences, uh, I still need to stand true to my convictions. And I think that's probably what Margaret Court and Israel Folau and, and there's many other Christians who are doing it. There's, there's people who are dying for their faith around the world that we don't hear about who have adopted an even if type of attitude. And it, it's pretty soft being a Christian in New Zealand. It's still sort of slightly acceptable and we can sort of hide it away. And, um, you know, yeah, we, 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 uh, we really don't know persecution. But my... My warning is that the heat is being turned up on the furnace and like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we need to decide whether we're going to be even if types of Christians. So that's, that's my approach. You know, um, courage doesn't mean an absence of fear. Um, sometimes we just, we need, if we know what we're doing is right and if we, if we feel confirmation in our spirit about that from God or however people make that judgment, for me, that's, that's for me, peace of God, that's my guide then you stand, you hold firm. And um, yeah, I think probably we need to um, harden up a little bit because it is, it's is—it's not going to get easier. The, the, the culture is getting more hostile to Judeo-Christian values, you know, around biblical sexual ethics, the whole sexuality area, uh, around sanctity of life, around, you know, um, just the role of marriage, the importance of marriage, um, drug use, lots of things like that. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, Bob, I think a lot of men will, will probably be envious of just your stance. And, and that, like I said before, you're not afraid to speak your mind and to stand on your convictions. And I think a lot of men would think, oh, man, come on, I want, I want to, you know, I want, what's, and what is it? What is it, Bob? Because what is it that obviously is your faith in God and, 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 and your belief? And I can imagine even before you're a Christian, you probably had this. I don't know. There has to be some sort of a fire under the belly or something as to why you said, you know, I don't care. What if you said, what if? And it's like it's like you, you obviously you're going against the grain. But what 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 is what is it? Was it before you became a believer? Or was it was it something? Or was it someone someone instilled some good values in you prior to you becoming a believer? Your dad was it? Was it dad who said, "Hey, son, you just got to speak your speak your truth, speak your mind." Who, what was it? Was there any any influences? I th I think it's just that it was part and parcel of my upbringing is that I had a good involvement in in the sport of church life, Christians around me. Um, but I, I don't know if I sort of set out to to have that, I, I don't know if I'd thought about that even if type of approach. I mean, I, I went through university, I then went lecturing at Manukau Polytech for four years, um, and then I felt the call to get into a, a ministry, so I walked away from a very good salary to having to raise my own support working at Youth for Christ, uh, which was based in Otara, and, um, you know, we were running rallies at Otahu College and uh, running the camps, and there was um, Tihaora and um, yeah it was a real step out and then and then setting up as you said Papatai Adolescent Christian Trust and I think it develops over time I think if there's people there sitting right now and thinking man I need to be braver I, you know I need to adopt that even if you know it's not just 
what, there was that famous ad with um, that actor where she said, um, it's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. Oh, it was Richard, a hair Richard, ad Richard, by Richard 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 Richard. Richard. <laughs> And we always say, it's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen. And I think, you know, if, if, you're in, if your intention is godly, then it will happen, but in God's perfect timing, and he'll open the doors. Um, you know, deep down, if I had my way, I'd probably still be involved in the media. I'd be involved in radio. I'd, I'd still be doing this. It kind of wasn't my design. It, you know, I didn't sort of think, I'm, I'm going to set up Family First in 2006. In fact, I was probably dragged there kicking and screaming by God, to be honest. But at the same time, I look back and I see the just the steps that led to that, being involved in the media on the other side of the microphone, interviewing people, so I knew what to expect and how they operate. And then that time of being in tertiary and learning about research and understanding credibility of what you're reading, uh, and then involved in youth work and working as a social worker around papatoitoi and in the schools. You know, so understanding what family breakdown and, and it does to to kids and to families in general and communities. So there was this kind of stepping stone that I didn't see. And I mean, Jeremiah talks about that. You know, I, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And, you know, those words were spoken when the Israelites were actually in captivity and were going to be in captivity for quite a long period of time. And, and yet they were still told, I know the plans I have for you, they're plans for good. And so I think to men watching, thinking, they realise they need to be more uh, stronger in their convictions. I would say it's not going to happen overnight, but just start pressing into God, start getting some discipline around reading scripture, get some discipline around figuring out how can you be a better father, better husband, how can you contribute, serve, give more to the community that's around you and support families and, and kids. And as you do that, you'll it'll start to fall into place. Um, you know, often we want the, the, the quick version, eh? Because we, we live in a very quick world. We I mean, we can't even... I mean, how many of us have put a meal in the microwave and sat there saying, come on! <laughs> 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and, that, and that's the culture we live in. If we don't it's get the, the answer in 30 yeah, seconds, we go looking elsewhere. And, that, and that's the danger, as you said, that um, often we don't do that deep thinking, that deep debating. Some people possibly voted in the referendum uh, on cannabis or, or euthanasia um, and decided just as they walked in or decided as they looked at the piece of paper and thought, ah, yeah, nah, maybe. You know, and we need to, we need to have these discussions. And so, like I say, to your viewers, there'll be some there sitting think, saying there, Bob, I disagree with everything you have said. And to them I would say, good, I'm glad you're thinking about it. Figure out what you disagree with and why and put up some structure around that opposition or support. That's, that's where we have the real strong debate and we come to some solutions. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that and I hope your, your viewers aren't. It's interesting that you mentioned disagreeing and um, you mentioned earlier as well, you know, it's, it's about learning to disagree but still being able to work together and finding mm. common ground. Mm. Um, and it just made me think about um, my own personal journey and, and I think for a lot of our men um, trying to be agreeable and, you know, you don't want to um, sort of start any trouble or anything so you sort of get into this habit of agreeing with everything and you mentioned mm. if you disagree with this then that's good because that's a sign that you're sort of thinking about things a little bit more critically mm. um, and I think there's 
I can only say from my own experience, there's, I'm assuming there's a lot of men like myself who have often gone into the booth um, voting and, and sort of agreed with the, the little bits and pieces mm. that we've seen. We haven't gotten a complete picture of both sides of the argument, mm. but we've heard one bit that kind of sounds pretty good and we've gone, agreed with it and taken that into the voting poll. So I, I kind of agree with, I do agree with what you're saying in terms of that disagree, but I'm just having this internal dilemma of mm. reflecting on all the times where I've just agreed for the sake of keeping the peace, even though deep down inside I know something doesn't sit right, mm. but I I can't find the courage or I'm waiting for the stars to align when the timing's right to step in and the timing never comes mm. and then life life moves on. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to comment on mm. that and I'm, I'm really grateful that you sort of brought that perspective because it's it's making me think about things a little bit differently. So, Well, I think that, um, you know, one of my favourite scripture and, and you'll ask me where it's from and I'll have to come back to you on that, <laughs> but it, 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 it says, let the peace of God be your guide or in some versions, let the peace of God be your referee. I mean, that's a good soccer analogy, isn't it? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of um, that, that, that peace in your spirit of knowing that, I mean, when I feel troubled about something and something's troubling me, then I go back to it and I re-examine my attitude, what I've done, you know, uh, and I've always used that as a bit of a guide. If I don't feel quite right about the way I'm saying something in a media release or maybe there's, I'm thinking, oh, this this research report, it says something and I like what it says, but I don't feel at peace about it because I think that we've missed out something. Take those, I call them prompts or cues from the Holy Spirit and and listen to those. And I think as men, if we, if we do that, then we live at peace with ourselves, with God and with the decisions that we make. And uh, we're not always going to make the right decision. And, you know, sometimes we mess up. We're, we're all sinners saved by grace. But at the same time, um, you know, we need to be brave, but also ask for that peace which passes all understanding. So, yeah, that's that's my sermon for tonight. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. good. Oh, that's good. I, you, I don't know, were you a former pastor as well? Or? Um, <laughs> no, we. I was involved with planting a church in Papatoetoe, which is still going. It's um, 22 years it's been going now. Um, it's just a, a small family church. It's the slowest growing church in Papatoetoe, um, but it's just really nice atmosphere and um, it's, it's, it's a gathering of believers. And um, But I, I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of pre... Well, see, I had, I had teaching because I trained to be a teacher as well, secondary school teacher. So that's why I lectured for four years. So the counting background, teaching degree, then I lectured for four years. So that was my teaching. And then I got into the um, YFC, working with kids and Christian ministries. So that was kind of the the application of the teaching to the preaching. And so, yeah, I do. I do enjoy teaching, but I'm not a Bible scholar. I haven't been to a Bible <laughs> college. Don't ask. I mean, you know, I couldn't think of that scripture where that scripture came from, but I do enjoy digging deep into um, scripture and it's it's the foundation for me you can you can give me any book and it can make sense but if it's contrary to what I think scripture is saying then I'm that's a red flag that that's kind of my benchmark mm. man this has just been some some raw nuggets here um, Jay yeah yeah it's kind of made me curious about what comes next for Bob um, it's been interesting Retirement, to hopefully. <laughs> yeah. oh, you're too young, Bob. You're still in your 30s, Bob. I'm still waiting for the call-up from uh, Jürgen Klopp <laughs> from Klopp, Liverpool. Klopp. 
because I'm sure they still need a striker. But um, yeah, I could be the ball boy. Yeah, well, was it, well, that's a good question, um, Jay. Well, yeah, what, what's next for you? Because I know you're you're heavily involved with a lot of mm. stuff, um, Bob. But what's what's uh, what, what does the future hold? Any any new plans or new projects in the pipeline? Mm. Well, you can make plans, but if they're not gods, you're wasting breath and time and energy. So I never planned that I would leave um, teaching at Polytech and go to YFC. I never planned that I would set up Pact. Uh, I never planned that I'd end up at Rima, and I definitely didn't plan that I'd start y- uh, Family First. So I think um, the best approach is to uh, be content where you are, but always expectant that God may slam a door shut or open a door, and that's when the let the peace of God be your guide. Um, uh, you know, sort of kicks in because actually, when I was a funny story, when I was when I was leaving Rima, and I wasn't sure whether to set up family first, uh, and I actually got offered a job as an RTLB at a high school which um, is resource teacher learning behaviour. So basically working with, with um, you know, um, kids that needed support. So I almost, almost um, took, on, took on that job. But, but yeah, that, so that was kind of a door that was open and yet I had the peace of God that he was saying family first. Um, and, and funny story is that I, with my accounting and legal background, I actually helped some charities set up their charitable trust. I knew how to do it, so I'd guide them and actually ran some seminars on it. And so about a year before Family First started, I started the process of setting up a trust called Family First. But I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it was for. It was just really reserving the name. And uh, I... You know, I don't know. It's a, it was a God moment. Just got given the name Family First, and um, here we are, seventeen years down the track. Some people think Family First is the worst organisation this side of uh, the Pacific Ocean, and you know, um, terrible. You know, should be booted out. In fact, you know, some people think we should be deregistered. We're still waiting on the Supreme Court on that decision. Been in court for since 2014 battling for our right to remain as a charity because people disagreed with our viewpoint on traditional family. So we've spent, it's been around $600,000 on legal fees in the last um, eight years and it's been two High Court cases, Court of Appeal, which we won. The government has appealed to the Supreme Court and that was a year ago, so we're still waiting on the decision. So they're really struggling with it. It's a bit of a Roe v. Wade type of moment because it's about, um, to me, it's about freedom of speech. Can a charitable organisation have views on abortion, euthanasia, cannabis, drug use, traditional marriage, gender, God creating you male, female, is it okay and can you remain a, uh, recognised as a charitable organisation? So it, it's a free speech case in my view. Um, so it'll be an interesting outcome. There's a lot of groups and churches that are watching the case with interest because if they can deregister us and shut us down, then who are they going to come after next? They're going to come after people who hold the same wacky views that I have, uh, which you know is generally Judeo-Christian values. Good on you. Good on you. And uh, you and um, Family First were just just plugging, just going, just going hard, and regardless of what's happening. 
um, with that with that case. Um, but Bob, we just just want to thank you, mate. We just thank you so much also for tonight. I know um, mm. we're conscious of time as well, and um, we just thank you so much for your your insights. But also, just it's been very educational, here. Um, for sure, yeah. for sure, very educational. And I think a lot of men are going to really appreciate your your thoughts and your insights. Mm. One other really important bit of information that I forgot to tell you is that my wife is half Nuan. Oh. So my kids are a quarter Nuan. So, you know, fuck it off a layout um, I took my wife uh, for her, for one of her birthdays a couple of years ago. We took her to Nuan so she could see her um, family uh, home or, you know, the, where her mother grew up. And uh, I love the place actually. The Wi-Fi was terrible, but um, <laughs> but Nui was a beautiful country, and um, so so that that's my connection to the Pacific Island. Oh, of course, my yeah. kids. So yeah, it's the Nui. Mm. What, 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 what they call it? They call it what? They call it the Nui. They call it the the Rock. Yeah, the Rock. Oh yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you just you look for the sandy beach, you won't find it. But man, the snorkeling is fantastic. But you need the coral shoes. Don't yeah, forget yeah, the yeah. coral shoes if you go to Nui. <laughs> Oh, awesome, Bob, man. Awesome, Bob. Any, any last words? I just you? wanted to say that because being the only white boy you've had on this program so far, I just you know, thought I'd bring some culture into it. Of course, man, of course. Hey. Good old diversity. Hey, man, it's just... <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. Hey, any, any, any last words, um, Jay? Any, um, any comments? I just wanted to thank you for your time and, and just the insight. It's, it's honestly, it's been... Some of it's been refreshing, challenging... Um, and just inspired a lot of reflection. So I, I think, to me, it's probably the best compliment I can give you is mm. that it's really made me think about things. So um, thank you yeah. for your time and, and for just being who you are. Um, I didn't really get the sense that you were trying to portray a certain front. Um, the Family First website, I actually found it really interesting um, looking at some of the content. It was really, it was, it's like a rabbit hole, honestly. And, and I'm not just saying this because you're here. It was just as part of the research looking through it. I just found myself getting lost in all the content. And so um, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, really go go and check it out it's it's really fascinating stuff and i think you'll find it's quite refreshing from what sort of pops up on your timeline so yeah i just want to please plug yeah that. and please plug in for the big blog as well please check out his blog it's just it's a real a wealth of information it's just mm. awesome um, it's a bit of fun actually yeah it is <laughs> but like this show it's, yeah. it's just, just fun eh? oh it's been awesome awesome mm. and also I, I admire your courage as well bob i think it's one of the greatest things i've, I've heard tonight in terms of you going against the grain even in the midst of adversity, you still push through. And so, bless you, mate. Bless you Thank also. You. Um, and all the best for your endeavours in 2022. And hey, I know you're a man who doesn't plan. You're waiting for God's plan. And so, um, whatever God has in store for you, uh, I know it's going to be awesome. So, but before you go, before you, we get you to say uh, uh, your last um, kind of words of encouragement to our men. Got a gift. Every person that comes on, every guest that comes on, we always give them a gift. And mate, this is for you on, on behalf of the Mandate um, team. This is a, a caricature, a bit of a sketch of you. And so it's for you, Moses. Ooh, that's <laughs> impressive. Even with the Liverpool shirt. Of course. That never walk alone. Awesome. There we are. Everybody see that? Nice. Man, awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Hey, any last any last words? Um, oh, before you get last, your last words, um, Bob, is there anyone that you could think of, anyone that could be ideal that could... Do you think they should be good on the on the podcast? Um, man, I, you gave me warning about this question, and I didn't think about it. Um, 
And the thing is that a lot of the people that I would recommend are people that you've already had on, like uh, Ronji Tanielu and Nick Tuatasi that I work with, and um, and uh, Elliot Ikile. Uh, can I come back to you? Yeah, no, come back here for sure. I thought you got to say um, Muhammad Salah, but yeah, it's oh, Muhammad Salah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know. Well, be, being a soccer fan, I think that maybe at some stage you should get Winton Rufa. Yes. New Zealand's greatest soccer player ever. I can give you a contact for that. Winton's oh, good, mate. Awesome, awesome. Winton, He'd be great. Please, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. But hey, hey. maybe Israel Falau. Oh, you don't have a contact for is he, is he heavy? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I do actually. I oh, do. Nice, nice. <laughs> but any, any last, um, last words of encouragement on Bob? Uh, let me just me. tell you my favourite quote, which is not out of the Bible, it's, but it's from a preacher and it's Billy Graham, Reverend Billy Graham. And he said, when a brave person takes a stand, it stiffens the spines of others. And it's always reminded me that often when we stand up for something, we often are scared about the reaction. We think, oh, maybe we shouldn't. But often what happens is that when we stand up and we we actually have the effect of stiffening the spines of others who think the same but are also a little bit fearful of standing up. And, uh, you know, I think that's... Um, something we should always consider that sometimes we need to stand alone sometimes we've got our mates like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego but sometimes by standing strong we we uh, we get courage from others and I'm sure you can think of people who you know taken a stand of being courageous and we thought yeah man I want, I want to stand I really support that I want to stand with that person that's what Billy Graham was at so yeah Awesome. Take awesome. a stand. Yeah, thank you, Bob. And so, guys, please like and subscribe. And if you have any comments, please, we look forward to your well thought comments as well. And um, if you disagree with what we said tonight, hey, it's all good. We can all agree to disagree. Still be friends. Yeah, we can yes. still be brothers. And so, guys, we continue our mantra to refine, unlock, and take, take charge. charge. Woo! <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs>